Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. Welcome to another Evolution Exchange podcast. And today we're going to talk about anything to do with iOS, Apple, what's going on in Stockholm, the exchange. And today I'm joined by Paul Plein, Ricardo Gonzalez, and Diana Saini. Saini? Saini? Oh my God, you had three times. We've wanted this recording five times already. Believe it or not, guys, we actually. We've been speaking about names before this actual recording, so um, this is why everyone's laughing at me because I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Uh, but before we actually kick off, we're going to do a round of introductions. Uh, Ricardo, we'll start with you, my friend. Uh, sure, thanks for having me. First of all, I'm Ricardo, iOS developer here in Stockholm, freelancing since uh, May of this year. Uh, before that, I've had uh, jobs at um, small startups to launch companies as well. Uh, that's about it. Paul? Yeah, my name is Paul Pelen. I'm an uh, iOS developer uh, here in Stockholm as well, freelance iOS developer. Uh, currently on assignment at uh, Zappel by PayPal. Uh, before that, I've been on a bunch of different companies for freelancing for a few years. Uh, companies like EasyPark, Ika, the Swedish uh, supermarket chain, uh, Express and uh, tabloid paper or, or evening paper, evening newspaper. Um, a bunch of companies before that as non-freelancer, as employed, but yeah, doing iOS development uh, for me. I think that will cover it. Also uh, running, uh, co-organizing uh, Coco Hats in Stockholm, Coco Hats Stockholm. So yeah, that's me, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me as well, Daniel Saidi. This is my name, Saidi. 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 You're gonna edit that word? No, it's all it's all good fun. I'm I'm used to pronounce my name every time I call anyone in Sweden since I was a kid, so it's okay. Uh, I'm uh, doing freelance since uh, one and a half years back. I'm currently at a full-time assignment at a company called Capital with a Q, an American uh, finance uh, company, personal finance, and I also like to. To play around with my own apps and open source projects and all that. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much, Chaps, for doing such a great introduction on yourselves. And so, as I mentioned before, we're going to talk about anything to do with iOS and things around Stockholm. So, the conversation is going to stem from talking about um, Apple's new release last week, Swift um, 16. The new products that they brought out, and um, obviously the iOS Stockholm freelance scene is definitely a topic of conversation that will pop up. And then we'll go into a bit more detail iOS 16, talking about the new features and other such platforms. And then we'll sort of round it off and talk about a bit more of the nitty gritty stuff Swift UI and new testing and so on and so forth. So it should be a well rounded. Um, well-rounded podcast. Um, what we'll do is we'll start off the general stuff we everyone wants to talk about is Apple's launch last week, and um, that's going to be the general consensus for the first part of the conversation. And um, so, yeah, take away, chaps. What were your thoughts about last week's Apple event? Oh wow, the silence <laughs> straight away. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can start off there. Yeah, the the event last week. I mean. I'm usually a guy that I'm, I'm, I'm this meme that shut up and take my money, but I didn't feel that this time around. I think uh, usually I buy the new iPhone as soon as, it, as you can buy it on Friday at 9 o'clock. I've been in, in supermarkets with a computer and an iPad and, and, and my phone trying to get into the Apple store to buy it online and, and reserve it. And this time, no, nothing. I felt like... Not even the dynamic island? Not even that, nothing. Uh, I, I've, I've been contemplating getting the uh, Apple Watch Ultra because I'm using an Apple Watch 4, which is quite old now, and I haven't been focusing on updating that one. You just got a dog, so you take a lot of walks as well, so the Ultra should be a yeah. perfect fit for that. My wife does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and her battery in the Apple Watch is actually that, so you said, oh good, if you get the new Apple Watch, I can take your old one. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I am thinking about it, but mainly because it has an orange button, and, and I'm, I'm Dutch, 
from the beginning, so I am I am uh, programmed to love orange. I think to any of you who can't see us right now as you listen to this podcast, he actually has a really nice orange print on his shirt as well. Yes, my company logo actually. Yeah. Do you know why it's orange? <laughs> <laughs> so you can have a reason for buying the watch. It's pretty smart. Yeah, Long game because it matches the watch. That's why. Yeah. Mm. Now, so I've been thinking about the Apple Watch Ultra, but I, the the iPhone 14. I I just had it hasn't stuck with me yet. I don't know. Maybe the pill will change it when I see it somewhere. <sighs> How about you guys, so, Ricardo? Yeah, I ordered it. You did? Yeah, straight away. I have a iPhone SE right now, so it was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, mean, I was uh, I didn't have a phone. So you actually have a phone now that is the same size as the pill on the new phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I got got the, the watch, the new, not the Ultra, because. Mm. I, first I ordered the Ultra and I thought about it and um, I, I thought of the cartoon downtown, like a, <laughs> like a super big, yeah. and I didn't want, want that, so I got the, the, the small one. Yeah, so so which one did you order for the phone now? The Pro uh, the, or the normal? The 14 Pro. Yeah. Yeah, one of the island. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have the 13 Pro Max now and I'm quite happy with it actually. Uh, but I, I think my kids will love it if I buy a new one because I think they will inherit my old one, mm. which they will not. But still, they want to. They want to try it. How about you, Daniel? Yeah, I've been having a pretty like luster experience the last couple of you know the product events at least because I think that if you look back. Apple used to be a company that sold products by telling stories, basically telling the human story that drives the tech innovation, basically, in the company. And they've been going more and more towards this streamlined format that they also share with Google and Microsoft. So it doesn't really matter if you watch the Epic game, I don't even know what it's called, but uh, if you watch uh, anything from the West Coast, it's you know f- shaped in the same form, and it's been so so streamlined and boring. But this year, I think it was this event where I also noticed that they started using fair as a means to sell products. So it was so much about if you fall, use the Apple Watch, buy it to your parents in yeah. case they would fall and hurt themselves. They can call. If you're in a plane crash, you know, the Apple yeah. Watch can save your life. If you're in a car crash, even better, you know. It's all all this, you know, risk-driven. Now it's like danger-driven sales in some way, in a way that it's still the human connection in somehow, the human storytelling, but it's all almost about like buy our products or die on the road yeah. in the car crash. That left a bit of sour taste in my mouth. At the same time, as soon as I watch any other company's sales presentations, it doesn't do it for me. And somehow I still ended up with an iPhone 14 Pro with a pill. So, Aura Dynamic. Have you ever experienced this uh, fall detection on the Apple Watch? I, I never fall. I also never wear my watch. So. Well, I've, I've had a, full, a few false runs actually, I think two or three or so. Uh, where I didn't even slip, but for some reason it felt like, I don't know, maybe I'm just walking very, very bulky or so. <laughs> it just felt like I was falling. But a uh, funny story to this, uh, my neighbor, she's a, an 80-year-old woman, uh, a very nice woman, but her husband unfortunately passed away last year. And now she feels quite scared in this. Yeah. And I actually told her about this fall detection because that's what she most worried about. And she got an Apple Watch. And I helped her setting it up, so she feels really more, way more comfortable. Maybe that relates a bit to what you're saying as well. They're driven on risk. I'm not gonna lie. I, I'm also considering like getting my parents. Yeah. Uh, of course, now both of them are alive, so it's like hopefully they don't fall at the same time. Which happened a couple of weeks ago when they were riding bikes here in Stockholm, when both crashed, and perhaps the two watches would have made the day a little bit better. Could be, yeah. yeah. Or, or at least you would have thought about it earlier. Yeah. I turned around and everyone was lighting in a pile on the pavement. It was quite a oh. sight for Suarez. Uh, but I mean, uh, yes, I think that Apple are still doing amazing, an amazing job of innovating hardware products and their hardware line is super impressive. Yeah. But it's just the format of selling that. I was born for most of that. Even though they present so yeah. groundbreaking products, it was kind of a boring event, I think. How do you think they can improve it, though? 
I really don't know. As soon as they bring a band up on stage to try to put you two in your phone, it also doesn't work really. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, I was just uh, laughing about that you too. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, I think a lot of, I mean, when I look at these uh, these shows, my wife, we were both, I, I was watching this and she was looking at her phone. It happens to be an iPhone as well. Uh, but she was looking at her phone and she's listening to it and said, this is such a joke. She was replying as well. This is just so ridiculous. They emphasize it so much about um, things about the devices that they deliver that it just feels like blown out of proportionary uh, to it. So I, I know, I mean, this is quite contradictionary being an iOS developer and, and uh, not really liking the keynote to it. It feels like it's a, it is, and not just feel like it is a big advertisement, of course, uh, but it feels like some, so many things are just so blown out of proportion that I understand my Android friends when they just laughing about this, even though they're doing the same thing at Google I/O on a yeah. basis. So yeah. it's, it's, it feels like a little bit unrealistic to that sense. I can't relate to many of the things you're talking about and how we can take one simple thing and just blow it up so large that it's such a huge improvement, such a big thing, and so many people. It's the number one brand watch. Yeah, it's also the main streamlined watch, for instance. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, but in the end, uh, I am contemplating buying an Apple Watch Ultra <laughs> still, even though it's a big commercial, uh, of course, with the orange button, but also it's time for a new watch. If anyone after this sees Paul walking around downtown with a <laughs> old John and Swiss, you have to call him out. You, you mean switching around on a scooter? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so obviously Apple's came a long way over the last, say, two decades. Next year or the year after, what, what can they improve? What, what can they bring something better? Like, what is the next thing they can do? Because obviously they're, they're at the top of the game now. Like They've done so much stuff, brought so many different things out on the iPhone, the watches, pills, the, the new, um, even the new pods that they brought out. Yeah. What can they do next? I mean, everyone is, oh, do you want to go, Ricardo? Me and Paul. I know, I know things that I don't want them to, to continue doing, like the putting uh, AI in the camera and stuff like that. I, I have some uh, portrait pictures where uh, like people's uh, glasses have been cut off and blurred into the background because the AI couldn't, couldn't distinguish them from, from the background or whatever. Death. Depth, yeah. and uh, I mean, don't do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, give, just give me the the photo. Yeah. Um, I saw this really fun thing where someone shared on Twitter that <laughs> the camera on his phone made him translucent. So he took a photo, and the background actually the AI. <laughs> extended the background beyond him and like blurred it with him. So it was like, he could see, you know, some bars behind his back continue through him. And it's like, this is not even just like prolonging. The AI did some really black magic. Because it's like, oh, there's a face, I'm gonna enhance it. And then it enhances like uh, around the face. You get uh, like a uh, real nice beard and hair, but <laughs> the face still yeah. looks horrible. It's um, oh God, I would love for the AI to enhance my face. If my AI would have a smart option to just remove my face, I think my kids could relate that. My, my, my twins, identical twins, uh, if they could have a choice in that sense, they would say maybe can make a better face ID because they can unlock each other's phones. Mm. And now they're in the age that they also have bank ID, which is the Swedish identification service. Mm. Uh, so when they want to go into each other's bank account, they just will hold up their brother's phone in front of their own face and it unlocks because yeah. it thinks it's the same person. The time for being an evil twin has never been better. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, I think for my case, what I would love to see, uh, maybe not Maybe not, but maybe I do. Is the the patent that Apple applied for for a few years ago for the Apple the Apple glasses, yeah. and how that would look? That were really interesting because it was quite a joke with the Google glasses. Yeah. I, I have a picture of me wearing Google glasses, and even though I look like a dork already now, I look even more like a dork than with those on. Can you please wear them together with your Ultra Watch? 
No, ja. Dat ook heel. If they are in orange. No, I would. I mean, I've seen that pattern, and, and I would love Apple to to introduce that. I mean, there have been rumors going around that it would be introduced last year with a release date by the end of 2022. But we all know that that is not the case. Nothing has been released. Maybe 2023. Who knows? That would be a cool thing. And I miss, and what I do miss from the keynotes, and I think this must be a, a Steve Jobs things as well, but I wish, I miss this one more thing. Yeah. It hasn't been there since the iPhone, I think. They had a little bit there. with, uh, they had a little bit today, uh, this year, or this event, uh, when they presented, what was it? Yeah, not that memorable. Yeah, exactly. we have it no more. Yeah, yeah it's it, it, I mean, Steve Jobs did it in such a perfect way. And of course, I don't want Tim Cook to try to to be it. Steve Jobs. He needs to be his own identity, of course. And he's done so very, very well. Uh, but I do miss that. It's every keynote I'm watching. It's like, maybe there's a one more thing and there isn't. No, you just have to come to terms with that. It's a more stable and boring company now, but at the end of the day, as embarrassed I am to admit it, I, I have days where I sit and work by my computer and I wear my AirPods Max and I have my phone and I realize that the and my <laughs> Micro Pro and I realize that these products actually make me very happy. Yeah, they do for me too. So that is my day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Gadget driven. That being said, here we're stopping with a Dell. Hang on a second, don't don't touch the gel. Don't touch the Dell. It does its job. Yeah. It does its job correctly. Uh, that's the main thing. I've never actually owned a MacBook. Um, so thank you for listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will get there eventually. Uh, yeah, this shouldn't be a sales event. Apple has to reach out and sponsor us for, let's stop talking about their products. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. I, 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 need place, I need to place more freelancers than I, I'll buy one. <laughs> so uh, that, that, that's my agreement. Uh, but uh, okay, so obviously we established quite a nice good connection with Apple and what they've done, maybe not so happy with them, what they can improve on, which is great. And now let's sort of bring it back a bit more local um, and talk about general iOS developments across Stockholm. Um, what, what do you think it sort of looks like and then we'll then go into a bit more detail about recruitment, freelance, employee versus being an employee. Uh, this is quite a good conversation to have to know all three of you are now freelancers. Ricardo, you're the most recent one to join the freelance sort of community. Coming from an employee background, how are you finding the, the transition, so to speak? I mean, um, I change jobs quite frequently while being employed. So I think it was kind of a natural step. Yeah. Um, and um, apart from that, um, I, I I don't get. I found myself not getting annoyed by by small stuff from uh, employment, um, and uh, I have freedom to do make my own choices and do what I want to do with uh, uh, what I bring. In. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I've been an, an, a freelance developer since 2017. Uh, mid 2017, I got the opportunity then to take to make the choice to without having to uh, cut losses with an income to become an, a, a freelance developer. And I wanted to be there for quite a while. And for me, the biggest reason for being that is the freedom it gives it. And so that's what I summarize it to: the freedom to be able to not be bound by 30 days uh, of holiday a year. Uh, to not be bound by whether whether or not I have had my computer for three years or not, to, to get a new model, to not have to go to a manager to argue why I should get the latest phone, if that is a, a, a thing we should have, uh, because it's one of the tools I've worked with. I mean, that, that is actually, that's one of the things I was bothered by the most before I got a freelance, that the thing I'm working with is iOS development, but I need to fight to get a phone or to get test devices in most jobs. Uh, I wonder if a carpenter has to fight to get the latest hammer too. Uh, when, when he's working, uh, I mean, it's, it's a tool for the job for us to do that we're working with and, and we are bound by like, like tax reasons that yo, you, can, you can only have one new phone every three years or so because then it's written off. So those things for me as a freelancer, that, is, that gives me that freedom. And that's, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons. That's why I tried to pull you, Daniel, to iOS freelancers as well. And, and finally we succeeded. You're a freelancer now. Yay. I'm a freelancer now. <laughs> 
It finally happened. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been having my sole proprietorship. Is that what you? It's about yeah. proprietorship. Yeah. It's about as hard to pronounce for me as societies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had actually my own side business since 2004, but it's always been like small side gigs and as a way to, you know, have my apps on the app store, for instance, and do stuff like that. But I came to this point. I was, I think, almost five years at this bookbeat company that I worked with before and I started to get so many reach outs regarding some of the open source projects that I have, people wanting, you know, to pay consultancy support and stuff like that. And it was like, I also promised myself when I became a father, <laughs> oh, almost 40 years ago, <laughs> but I, I didn't want, you know, time to have a price tag. Basically, I don't want to feel like I have to work, which Strangely enough, when I'm a freelancer now, it's like I've never been so inclined to take a day, day off here and there because it doesn't really, I mean, if my kids need me, I yeah. can just take a day off. I don't have to think about vacations. Like, yeah, exactly. oh, it's freedom. freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also like uh, being uh, felt a bit bound by, you know, the employment contract that you sign, you can't do any projects that you want. And so I'm like, I, I want to be able to decide myself, what I put time on. And so far it's been great. It's been really, a really rewarding transition. Mm. Yeah, I, I can only agree for me, it's the same thing. I just love I, the, the choices that you can make with it. Yeah. So do you find there's a lot of support in Stockholm for a freelancer? What do you mean with support? So uh, do you speak to other freelancers? Do you go to like, the sort of meetup events? Um, if you are a freelancer, are they sort of employed or not employees, but the hiring managers that you work with, or clients that you work with, are they quite supportive of it? Like, uh, uh, what's the best way to sort of like support yourself, support fellow freelancers, and obviously from a mental point of view, like, uh, who's out there that you just speak to, so to speak? What's your support? Yeah, I think, I mean, part of the, what I can answer to that is that well, when it comes to, to meeting other people's and meetups, I, I'm a bit biased there. I'm, I'm like I said before, I'm a, a co-organizer of Coco Head Stockholm together with another guy called Martin Andonovsky. Um, so yeah, I mean, I go to those meetups. I haven't been to all of them, of course. I've just recently joined there, and, and yeah, it, it's. Uh, you meet a lot of different people there and some people that you meet are really interested on in how this with freelancing works. It seems to me that one of the that a lot of people want to want to become freelancers, but either they just lack the experience, because I do believe that you need to be a little bit more senior developer in order to, to be a good freelancer, to, because companies would like to hire someone as experienced or they lack the funds to do it. A lot of people, they have three months resignation time and the uh, time to market for, for a consultant is about three weeks at most. Uh, so I think a lot of people are concerned about, okay, if I start my gig as a consultant, I need to work for a month, then I need to send a bill and wait for another month. And some consultancy, uh, some, some brokers is maybe even three months in order to get my first contract paid. What, why am I gonna get money for the next three months? Many of them have kids or have a family. They, they are scared to take that step. And especially now with interest going up and inflation going up, a lot of people are a little bit more, more scared of taking that step, even though often these things are solvable, either by the bank or with a, some recruiters can help out and giving an advance or so, that is also often possible depending on your, on what kind of consultant you are. So from that level, I, that's what I often mean when it comes to support. Uh, I hope that answers a bit on your question there. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's always good to know, it's always good to share, like, hey, this definitely help out that you're not alone. It's always think, yeah, you're a freelancer, you're on your own, so to speak. But yeah. It's always nice to have that sort of support behind you saying, shit, what the hell do I do? Or how do I come yeah. up with this issue? And as a consultant, you can't go to the hiring manager sometimes with, like, issues. No. Because you, as a consultant, you, you're there as, a, as the, the main guy, hey, you know everything, because then it comes to them for problems and it, 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 it causes issues. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I was sort of aiming at it. Um, so it's quite nice to see that there's definitely the meetups out there, there's, there's yeah. just some general, general support. Now, Ricardo, obviously, like I mentioned, you are quite new to the game. How have you found it over the last like, three months, four months? I mean, at first I was uh, quite um, nervous 
but uh, will it get a gig or, or not? Um, but given the market here, if I wouldn't have got, gotten one, then I would have gotten uh, taken another job, uh, another employment, and waited uh, again. So I, I, I was worried, but I wasn't that worried. Uh, also, that economic thing you mentioned, I got my last salary in April and then I got paid in July. So it was, uh, uh, it was a poor summer. But it's fine. Things tend to fall into place. Mm. Okay. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I think that for me, like getting an assignment or getting stuff to do wasn't a big concern. For me, I want to do things properly. So when I started the company, I wanted to understand all the steps of uh, what does an SNI code mean, for instance. Like, And Paul was of tremendous help to me uh, and getting me in contact with you know, accountants and stuff like that. So thank you so much. Thank you very well. But uh, I feel in many cases that you, you can always call, you know, the, the government various forms, but it's not always that helpful in a way that is a bit strange to me. Like, for instance, when you deal, I have a bunch of international customers and when you're, uh, when someone reach out to you and require you to sign or ask you politely, please, pretty please, which you're on top to sign an W8BN-1 form. <laughs> And you call, you know, Scott the Bucket here in Sweden, and they're like, oh, we don't know what that is. It's like, but it's IRS, like, isn't this your job? And no one can help you. And then, luckily, we work in an international, helpful uh, community. So, Twitter to the rescue, and you can get someone within five minutes to help you there. But that kind of support from the government or from, you know, from the state, I, I would have expected more. Perhaps, I don't know. Yeah, for me, when I became a consultant, I mean, I got it quite clearly for, for me that uh, there, I'm, I'm good at two things. It's iOS development and spending money. Uh, and, and my wife helps me a great deal with the second part. Uh, so for me, it's like everything else I want to have done by someone that actually knows what they're talking about. So that's when I had a, a, a consultancy or an accounting company help me out with the rest. And I, I, I take the bills, I know what I can, I cannot buy within my company. Um, and if I'm unsure, I can send them an email, hey, can I buy this? And they will tell me, well, if you use it for this and that, you can, but if you're going to use it for private or for this and that, you cannot. But yeah, should they help me out with that? And for me, it's like, it, it, it makes me sleep and be able to sleep at night. Yeah. That they fix all of that. I just send them the receipts and I tell them what's it for, and they will fix the rest of it. Uh, that for me gives a, it's a way, it's, it's a big load off. Uh, I have a bunch of friends that uh, have become freelancers as well, and uh, many of them do their accounting themselves, and I'm still in the discussions with them as well. We have a group called Freelancing Friends, actually, a Slack group, which uh, reach out to me on Twitter if you want to join this, it's for freelancers. Uh, where we can just chat with each other and uh, talk about ideas on how things work. It's both in Swedish and English. And they have a lot of, uh, of discussions there on, oh, if I want to take this car in my company as a uh, benefit car, how do I do this? Uh, what do I need to take account for? What kind of car should I think for? Look, all that kind of things we have discussions, but they do it themselves. And sometimes they struggle. Mm. Uh, for me, I just leave it to my calendar and I know it gets done correctly and I can sleep at night. That's, that's uh, such a relief. <laughs> but I, I, th I feel like I also want to understand, not, not you know, have the exact up-to-date information about the current uh, accounting standards in the EU. Mm. None of that, but I want to like understand, basically I want to be able to look through the books and see like, okay, this number looks off. Mm? No, this thing. Now it's like, I feel like I'm getting there, but the economic part is a, an unfortunate side effect of running your own company. Yeah, yeah it is. Especially when you see in the end of the month how many, how many taxes you're paying in Sweden. <laughs> it's understandable, it's, it's good because we have a lot of benefits here in Sweden as well, but it's it's still a bit of heartbreak. It's like, but this much money is going. I, I actually lied before when I said that I never, I never fall. I actually do. And last year I did in the ski slopes. Let's say that it was a really impressive jump. 
<laughs> Let's not fact check that. At the end of the day, you know, shattered shoulder, going to you know hospital, doing some X-rays, and uh, I just like started my comedy three months before yeah. that, and my shoulder was completely broken, and I was I, I was pretty happy with the Swedish yeah. uh, healthcare system actually. To uh, really thankful for that. So that's a level of support that you can also weigh in on yeah, starting your own thing here in Sweden. There's a lot of positive to the amount of taxes that we pay. There is a lot of positive to my kids as well. I have a friend of mine in the Netherlands. I think he told me that he's paying like 600 euros to have his kids, to have his kid, one son, having 30 weeks in school. Mm. Uh, at the same time, when my kids were the same age as his, we paid like 300 euros a month to have three of our kids being able not even using that but being able to have like 47 hours in daycare yeah uh, so that's it's a big difference of what we pay for yeah and it's a benefit there that's always a good conversation to bring up is obviously Sweden's always notoriously high for tax yeah um, and then obviously being an employee and then rates and stuff like that the contractor what's the benefit and like obviously Everyone always wants a financial gain. Um, you don't really want to go down too much. You don't. You want to earn as much as an employee. Because obviously, yeah. you got you got you still got bills to pay. You got your yeah. tax to pay. You got stuff to this this to pay. Obviously, there's a lot of benefits out there that the government do offer, um, which which is great. Now I'm going to sort of bring it back on track before we can sit here and talk about tax all day. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. a good point. Everyone's going, oh wow. <laughs> uh, but then let's move it a little bit forward. Let's not talk about tax and support. Let's talk about general. Recruitment then within the Stockholm community. How how do you find what the scene is like at the moment in time or over the last say, year? Yeah, you want to start up there. I mean, you're in a recent one here, quite a. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I was also recruiting myself when when I was at Bambusa. I was uh, building my team. Yeah, there. Um, and um, I know what to say. There, there isn't a lot of it's. It's hard to find people. You you don't get applications. You need to hunt people down. And um, uh, and looking myself, um, it's yeah. I don't I don't know what to say. Uh, it's it's uh, it um, it takes a lot of energy from time to time. Uh, but you also get to meet people and. And it, it can be nice as well. Are, are you talking about uh, you as a role of people, uh, as a person trying to find talent? Uh, no, uh, trying to find uh, somewhere to work. Oh, okay. And you also get a, I mean, it's a uh, pretty uh, interesting way of seeing what, what, what's going on in the scene as well. Mm. Yeah, so for me, I would say that uh, this comes a, bit, a little bit back to what I talked about earlier about uh, I recommend that you're a little bit more senior and you become a freelance developer. And it has a lot to do with experience. If you if you have an experience, you have a CV you can build, or maybe even some, some companies that are a little bit better known, it makes the job way easier. I think the first assignment when I started, as a, the first time I looked for as a freelancer, I think it took me about a week. I met with, I think, three companies to have them remain nameless now, but I think I met with three companies, uh, two of which were interested in, in hiring me. And I, I, I selected one of those companies to work with. The second time around, it went way quicker. It took like three, four days. The last time now, when changing, I wasn't even looking for another assignment. Uh, I was open for one. Uh, I think it took me half a day or so. Uh, two interviews back to back with the same company. They like me, I like them, and, and now I'm there, I'm working there, and, and it, was, it has been a great choice. So from, from a consultant, from a freelance perspective, that is, it, it's easier the more senior you get, I would say. Uh, from a hiring perspective, I've, I've been on the other side of the table, and it is difficult, and from the last year, as you were asking yourself, I would say it has been, um, it's going up and down. For a year ago, I think as a consultant, it was harder to find an assignment. There were fewer assignments during COVID, during the pandemic. Um, it's easier now. There are more of them out there, uh, more assignments out there in Stockholm uh, to choose from. Uh, somewhere in the city center, some just outside. Uh, being outside the table to find them. Two years ago, I was working at a company where we tried to find consultants, uh, iOS consultants. 
and it was extremely difficult. It was just before the pandemic, and it was extremely difficult to find any consultants. We got really weird applications as well, people that just didn't fit the bill, people that were really inexperienced or they were not really compatible socially. Uh, that just didn't, that didn't, didn't work. It was really hard to find, and I, I think we went through 10 applications before we found someone. Uh, so I, that was difficult. And today, I don't think it is that difficult anymore, and it goes up and down. Yeah, I'd say. What do you think, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, from a recruiter point of view, when I worked at uh, BookBeat, I think we didn't have that big of a problem to find people, although you need to, of course, put the time and effort in uh, for a nice vetting process. Uh, as a freelancer, yeah, I've been uh, happy enough to always have too much to do. So, uh, and I think that if I look at other other friends who have freelancing companies or agencies or stuff, it seems like there's tons of work still. Let's just hope it remains like that. That's yeah, and that's one thing we sort of touched on before the actual podcast on recruitment and how it goes. There's obviously pits and there's troughs and then there's these massive spikes and it goes, it links it, Paul said, it goes up and down. And from a recruiter's perspective, it's quite interesting to see sometimes. It's always good to see from an actual freelancer's perspective, like, hey, how are you actually finding the industry? You find it quite easy to find a good sign. It's quite difficult. What's the uh, so process is like a bit, it'll be quite straightforward, it'll be quite, it'll be quite quite long and you go, right, okay, let's get another gig and so on and so forth. So it's, it's always quite interesting to hear the perspective of a freelancer on the perspective of looking for a new gig. Shit, do we need a new gig right now? Or can we, you know, you know what, I can wait two, three weeks. Um, and so on and so forth. And then that's one thing a lot of people can worry about. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, my, my contract's coming to end in four, four to six weeks. How the hell? What I'm gonna do? And it, it's just sometimes panic sets in, and you know, oh no, like I've been offered an employment. I'll go, go do employment instead. And it, it's just trying to manage that some process correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's also something you need to account for as a freelancer. When you're thinking about your hourly rate, it's very easy to say, oh, I want thousands of crowns an hour. Uh, or if we put it more internationally, I want hundreds of euros an hour. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, everybody uh, everybody wants more. But you need to take your consideration account with, of course, what your what, what, what other freelancing consultants are taking. I think recruit, a recruiter here is very much experienced in that, which I've always been able to depend quite a lot on, on for instance, on you and other companies here in Stockholm as well. Uh, but you also need to take into account that, well, there is maybe a lead period in between. A lot of, a lot of companies seem to hire just at the end of the summer, so when the rain consultants are starting, and then just after the New Year's. So when we get requests from recruiters, we get them just before the summer starts, because then they're filling up the quota for just starting after the summer, and we get requests like in November-ish, around there, then a lot of companies start searching again. So if you're looking for that during, for during the summer period, you want to have maybe three, four, five, six weeks off, depending on how your family situation goes or what your interests are. Uh, so you need to take account for, for a, a pay gap there that you take in your hourly rate and you need to fill up with those times that you're actually on holiday. If you're employed, you don't need to think about that because you got your 30 days and your employer will just pay you your, your salary anyways for those 30 days. You don't need to think about the, the two, three, four weeks you're off during the summer. So you take that in account to your hourly rate when you go looking for the assignments uh, and take that forward. So you have actually a little bit of a balance that you can use for the summer and for those periods when you're looking for a new assignment, if, if it is hard. Yeah, I'd say agree from obviously this side of the table is our busiest period is obviously the run up to Christmas, let's get someone in from New Year, and then they start, it goes a bit quiet, January, February, picks up again, usually usually late February, March, and May, June tends to be absolutely chaotic. People are like obviously Sweden do like to take well, Sweden yeah. like to take the time off in the summer, they do take the four to six weeks off and like nothing happens. So it's pretty quiet, especially on like the sort of hiring manager front. So we get a response to it, it's quite difficult. Um, so obviously you have a big push there, then obviously people come back, people start in September, but at the same time, a lot of budgets are also reviews in September, October time, where they go, right, okay, actually we do have space, we do have the budget to go, oh, we can take another freelancer, we, oh, wait, there's extra cash here, oh, wait, we can get another, get another freelancer, oh, wait, we've got some more investment. Yeah. 
oh wait, we're doing this new project. There's so much going on around this sort of time of year. Yeah. So we're now starting September, and that'll run up until at least the end of October. Yeah, a little bit quieter than about two, three weeks, and then it's like, oh wait, it's coming to the end of the year, let's get someone else in, let's start somewhere again. Not saying it's the same company doing it all the way around, but it's all, every company has their own sort of time schedules, and that's what these sort yeah. of tends to go off. Um, so if you are in a position where you are coming up to the end of your contract and think, oh, what the hell am I doing? It's just wait for the peaks and the troughs of the industry and the supply and demand, of course. Great. Is there anything else you want to sort of talk about on like the sort of Stockholm scene? There was one thing I was thinking about, but I can't remember it right now. When it comes back. Yeah, if it comes back, we can go, yeah. let's go back to it. Ricardo, Daniel. Well, Daniel Ricardo. Hey, <laughs> sorry. We have like great, um, uh, the, the Stockholm community is uh, great with a lot of meetups, yeah, like co-beds. Uh, I love that. I try to attend as much as I can. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, companies that invite developers for uh, different events as well. We can get free food and new friends. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a good segue to that subject if you like. What free food? No, yeah, well, free food is always a good subject. Hungry, Paul? <laughs> I am actually hungry. No, but it's um, I'm always hungry actually. No, but it's uh, for uh, when it comes to the uh, the Stockholm scene, when it comes to meetups. So I think there are like two or three meetups. I think there. Well, there's there's Coco has Stockholm. I think that was in Stockholm area is one of the biggest one. Um, again, I'm biased in this sense. Uh, it's it's my favorite one, of course. Uh, especially the organizers there are so awesome. Uh, yeah, no, then we had actually a, a meetup this week uh, on Monday at Blocker in Stockholm. Uh, really great meetup, lovely view of the city as well. Uh, two really great talks. Uh, it, I mean, I think it's just really interesting to listen to that, to see things that maybe I myself not been able to touch upon and to hear other people's opinion of that. I know I knew you do a lot of, of, of those kind of talks, uh, both remote and on site, Daniel. Mm. Uh, and I've, I've listened to a few of them uh, remote. I've even looked back a few at Coco has where you have been. I mean, it's just great seeing them uh, in general. Now we have Stockholm Swift. I think you're a key person there, Daniel, right? Yeah, it's Radar's thing, but we're a small gang around him. Happy whenever he shows up and arranges <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, Radar, if you're listening, next podcast, you should be here. <laughs> we can organize it, we can organize it. So, yeah, obviously, guys, there's, there's a lot of support out there if you, if you do need it as a freelancer or if you are interested in it. Definitely reach out to the three chapters we've got around the table. Uh, today and the, the, I'm pretty sure that people have to talk about it, push, push in the right direction on where the meetups are at and getting them right connections. Yes. Now let's sort of move on because I'm a little bit conscious of the time. Um, we're talking about a little bit about Apple's event last week. One of the main things was iOS 16. Um, now this is obviously a bit more into all your area except mine. <laughs> um, so I'll let you chat, sort of take away and have a little general conversation about iOS 16, thoughts on it. Improvements yeah. and obviously other, other functions and one of the platforms around that as well. Yeah, so if we look at an Apple year for a developer, it starts in the beginning of June when Apple had their annual worldwide develop, developer conference, WWDC. And that's when they reveal the new iOS, macOS, tvOS, perhaps not so much tvOS anymore, and watchOS, all the new software updates that are relevant to developers. And when the rest of Sweden goes on summer break for four to six weeks, iOS developers sit in their, <laughs> by their computers, sweating, trying to catch up on what, what's going to be arriving in the autumn. And now we're in a phase like with Apple's event last week when they reveal the product line, mostly watches and phones. And even then, even though we prepared for the entire summer, we can still get surprises, like the design of the iPhone 14 Pro, for instance, which has a new, they removed the top black part, which is called the notch, and they pushed it down and re replaced it with a new shape called the Dynamic Island. Let's make fun of that for a while. <laughs> uh, but we as developers, we don't know that. And we perhaps we, like me and Paul, we built, uh, Ricardo, I don't know, if you build for iOS 16, you try to get something new out the door when iOS 16 launches. But the week before, you suddenly notice that, you know, there's a new, new form factor coming to the phone. And yeah, you know about that before. 
So the year is, you know, a lot of things happen during summertime for developers. A lot of things happen um, in the autumn for consumers and developers, of course. And now we have these scattered events throughout winter and spring as well. But um, most of the things happen during summer and autumn. Mm. Yeah, I can actually give a recommendation there when it comes to that with DubDub. Uh, a lot of developers are overwhelmed with all the new stuff that is released. Uh, there has been, it's two years in a row, and then COVID hit. There uh, has been a, a really great conference in the Netherlands called Swift Island. Yeah. Uh, I can really recommend I've been to both of them. And if if, if uh, Sydney and Niels are planning a third one, I'm definitely going to go there because you had one week. Well, you get three days there on site where you can actually experiment with the latest stuff they introduced on Dota. And that's actually been really helpful the previous years uh, to, to get going with this. For this year, with iOS 16, I'm, I'm working on an app with a friend of mine that's iOS 16 plus only. And uh, with the change of APIs that came with Xcode, uh, it has been a little bit difficult, especially getting like navigation split view and navigation stack at the same time working for iPad OS. Really? Yeah, it's okay. been a, it's, it still is a nightmare. And the latest, the, the release candidate or now the Xcode 14 and stuff doesn't work for Mac OS Ventura if you're building for that SDK. It's not oh. included. So I'm still stuck on beta 6, which is, it's not really working. There's there's a hack around this. I've made a post on this on developer, Apple developer forum. Mm -hmm. Send Apple actually feedback assistance. Surprisingly enough, it's still open. Nobody has replied to it. Yeah. But yeah, that's it has been a little bit hacky and I'm working with that. But it's, it's kind of normal. I think we're in this uh, period in time now when the Apple hardware is uh, the best it's ever been, I would dare say. Uh, but the software is really sketchy, unfortunately. And uh, if we look at, for instance, one of the things that uh, we have to look at when we talk about iOS 16 are the consumer-facing new features that are, you know, the new lock screen, for instance, Yeah, that is new. You also have consumer-facing features that we as developers can interact with. For instance, widgets yeah. on the home screen, which are new things. And then you have pure developer tools like SwiftUI that evolves every major or minor versions as well of iOS, macOS, watchOS, and tvOS, where we get new tools to work with to give users a better experience within the applications. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of factors when we talk about new platform versions. Mm. And I'm personally more versions in that as well. I think it's Frank and Seminar, right? Yeah. 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 So the language that you use to build products, if you build for the iOS platform, mm. the language itself is mostly <laughs> called Swift. You can also build with older languages, of course. But, and the UI, the user interface technology that you use to build is now the new thing, is called SwiftUI. And what I think is really exciting this year is that Apple, this is the year when Apple, for the first time, said that the best way to build apps for their platform is to use Swift with SwiftUI. Mm -hmm. So basically, for the first time since launching Swift and SwiftUI, that's when they took a clear step away from Objective-C, which is the old programming language, and UIKit and AppKit, that has been the old uh, UI frameworks. But then it's really sad then to see that SwiftUI doesn't really uh, behave that well. compatible either. Yeah. So how, how is, I mean, you were a really great guy when it's SwiftUI. I'm a really great guy in many ways. In many ways. Yeah, in many ways. <laughs> in many ways. Except for announcing many ways. But. Uh, no, but when it comes to Swift UI, I mean, when I when I have questions and thoughts about Swift UI, I, could, I, I mean, you're my go-to guy with that. Uh, but you're still as, in a, as, a, as a freelance consultant at a company as well. Mm. And I presume the company that you're, that, that you're working with, uh, they they support many versions back in iOS yeah. as well. So are they going over fully Swift UI? Or is it a mixture? Or how is it going for them? I'm not good to go into details, of yeah. course. Uh, because I'm struggling a bit with our different clients in different places where they have a backwards compatibility, in some cases maybe to iOS 11. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, if we go all the way back to BookBeat, for instance, we supported iOS 12, uh, and the, minor, uh, the minimum iOS version for using SwiftUI is 13, and different platforms have the minimum, different minimum versions. But on iOS, which means iPhone and iPad, 
the minimum deployment target, the minimum iOS version is 13. And if you as a company like BookBit did at that time, support 12, that means that you cannot ship SwiftUI stuff to those devices. What we did then, because from day one, to me, it was clear that this is future. If you as a company don't gradually evolve to that, you're gonna have a big bill to pay a couple of years from now, right? So what we started to do was to build, start building components in SwiftUI and embedding them in UIKit, which is the old technology. Yeah. And if users were on iOS 12 or earlier, uh, they would get the old experience, basically. And then we started from that, and we built more and more stuff in SwiftUI and gradually grown into a place. So both as a way for the team to get familiar with the technologies, and it also allowed us to actually you know, build a brand new Apple Watch app. So BookBit didn't have a, an Apple Watch app, but we built the Apple Watch app in SwiftUI without previous any previous users, since it was a brand new app. We could just go with the latest or watchOS version we could build an entire app in SwiftUI using, and we, before doing that, we prepared a platform for playing well together with SwiftUI. And then I've been fortunate to only have clients where I've been able to explore SwiftUI to the full extent. So yeah, that's great. Uh, how about you, Ricardo? So at the current place I'm at, we have a pretty old app uh, that relies on, on uh, UIKit. In uh, after we get all that yep. uh, all life cycle, but we are transitioning towards SwiftUI. So every, everything new mm -hmm. uh, is built in SwiftUI, and uh, I love it. I'm I'm not looking back anytime soon. Mm -hmm. We uh, support. We don't support the old versions either. We have uh, iOS 14 plus. So we're not that limited, but every now and then, you know, you, you uh, try to use something and, and the Xcode says, this is iOS 15 plus or whatever, mm -hmm. and you have to, you have to accommodate for that. One thing that is really unfortunate, I think, when Apple launches this new kind of technology, that is clearly the future, but the future isn't here yet. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that <laughs> like the first freelance gig I actually had, which re was reaching out to a video streaming service here in Stockholm uh, called Cineastena. It's like Netflix, but you can watch movies free with your library card, and they only had web. And uh, to me, that was like, this is a perfect candidate for building a TVOS app. Reached out to them. I showed them a demo that I prepared beforehand, uh, exploring their catalog on the TV. And they were really excited. We decided to do it. And I sat down. I gave an estimate of the number of hours that I, like my gut feeling as an experienced developer, think this would be a re reasonable amount of hours just to realize halfway into the project that the navigation is broken in TVOS. The scrolling doesn't work with huge lists. Adding, you know, a 40 plus hour to like non-billable hours to hack around the limitations of SwiftJar on that platform. Of course, releasing that kind of broken software erodes a bit of the trust that I think Apple needs uh, in this kind of new technologies. Yeah, that is actually an interesting point because I, I had a chat yesterday with the, my friend I'm doing this new app with, and uh, he is he's very much in love still with the UI kit. I'm not sure if you're listening, you need to go over to yeah. UI still. But he told me as well that, yeah, I mean, now that we're doing this, I'm doing the admin app for this in, in Swift UI, and he's doing the client app in, in UI kit. You haven't really brought me a lot of confidence in using Swift UI. And I told him as well that yeah, this has to do with it as well that we're doing better software, latest and greatest. There are always there's always bugs and issues in better software. I mean, when I started a few years back at Easy Park, we worked only with better software for CarPlay integration yeah. when it just opened it up in, in, in iOS 14. I mean, the bugs that we ex that I experienced with Xcode at that time and with the APIs changing for CarPlay, I've never experienced anything like that in any software. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's hacky, but it does it does give a bad taste in your mouth, so to say. But I mean, I'm now developed the Watch app for BookBeat. I developed the TVOS app and iOS and iPadOS app for Cineastina. And for another client of mine, I've rebuilt some of their old apps in SwiftUI for iOS, uh, iPadOS, macOS, 
and uh, it's amazing. SwiftUI is truly amazing. I just wish that Apple would have, you know, tucked on the little beta mm. uh, brand, <laughs> like the beta label, on the first three versions to give developers a more, you know, fair uh, expectation. Yeah, and I, I would like to agree with that. I, I really love you do using your Swift UI as well, and especially now with the app that I'm building myself, I get the chance to only work with that. It's really much easier. Yeah. Uh, but I do I do get the impression that when Apple is developing new updates to, or in this case, Swift UI, that the teams that are working on that they not communicate yeah. with each other. Like sure. navigation split view and navigation path with navigation stack. That is one example. It feels like when when Delta uh, was this year. Both those teams working on that. I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but both of teams were just informed at that point that oh, you guys are doing something called navigation too. Yeah. Well, this is a coincidence because they don't don't seem to work with each other. Well, I know, it's, you know, I've been working at way smaller companies where teams <laughs> don't communicate. So fair enough. I wouldn't fair be surprised. Enough. I wouldn't be surprised. Fair enough. Yeah, we two uh, developer, like yeah, too deep in the development game now. I think no, we need to make some software. Oh yeah, it's, hey, it's let's talk money. All right, so obviously we've had a lot of uh, conversation around that. Let's sort of bring it back again, or even go in a bit further maybe, and talk about maybe the back end of iOS. Mm. I know that you definitely brought this question up, and um, talking about uh, back end practices for the iOS community, um, i.e. are people writing unit tests, uh, working on system design, etc. How are they comparing to say about 10 years ago? Mm, yeah, I mean, I joined the iOS community. I took my first uh, Bambi steps into the first Cocoa Head meetup, and I didn't know anyone. And I was a back end developer in an iOS uh, dress, so to speak. Um, so I, you know, I started looking at iOS development. I felt that it was really fun. Uh, but a big point of frustration for me coming from back end was that the back end community has so many discussions about craftsmanship, I feel, like the the way you build good software, where coming into the iOS community, I felt like uh, people like me, of course, I've been learning from various sources, for instance, the Stanford online course, where, you know, just put everything in the app delegate. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like the, the meetups were more about, like, let's explore the, the APIs that Apple gives us, or it's, let's explore this third party, the, uh, the third party framework that does this. And it was not that many discussions about, for instance, unit testing, like, how do you write testable code in on the Apple platform? So how do you write maintainable code? What's good software architecture? Uh, those are issues that really engage me, and uh, which I also get to work a lot with, with when I build uh, open source stuff because you need that good uh, that focus on the code rather than the user experience. Or the user experience is the developer experience, which is tightly connected to the code you write or the public APIs you put in place. Do you guys feel now that the community is more focused on software craftsmanship? Like system design and that, or has little changed? Well, you want to go first? Okay, go, go. you go. Uh, I think, I mean, personally, I, I recognize a lot of what you're saying. Uh, I also come from a backend development, PHP. I don't know if you can even call that backend, but <laughs> web development, anyways. Uh, and yeah, we did a lot of unit testing there as well, even in backend development. Uh, but somehow, when we did iOS development, it felt like, although it didn't feel like it wasn't. It wasn't like a second nature that you write unit tests. Uh, it wasn't until uh, a bunch of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, I had the chance, or five years ago, I had the chance to work with a, a great guy uh, at a company in Stockholm. Actually, as a freelance developer, I did write a bunch of unit tests before, but he was really focused on test-driven development. And he kind of forced me into that route, thinking in that way. And today, for me, it's like a second nature. Uh, I think a lot of Companies, especially consultancy companies, where you're hired uh, as a hired consultant, um, they feel that writing unit tests, UI tests, or testing in, in general is secondary to the product that we're delivering. So we're delivering an experience to the client. And in order to minimize the, uh, the offering cost when we actually offer for a project, we should remove the tests from this because otherwise our competitors have our 
offering a better price. At least that was an experience I had at the time. When I made offerings and made evaluations, uh, my, I, I knew that as soon as I sold it to the sales guy, I knew that I can hear, I can count the seconds until he was next to my desk telling me, why are we so much higher than our competitors? Okay. And I want to explain, yeah, we need to test too. And that should be part of the development from the beginning. And I was like, well, may, maybe we can just remove this and then we can sell this in later to the client. <laughs> uh, I mean, that is such, was such a common experience. Today, I think in many teams where I'm at, especially uh, more senior teams, yeah. the testing comes as a second nature. It's not a value, there's a separate point in the, in the evaluation of a task that we're going to do. Uh, we're doing a story point evaluation and a Fibonacci points, and we're taking testing as part of that. Uh, even QA in that sense as well. A lot of companies, especially experienced companies, have learned that we need to verify, we need to quality assure our product. We need to include QA in this, we need to write unit tests and UI tests. So I think today, compared to maybe 10 years ago, it is it, it is way more common and way more established, yeah. I would say. The rise of CI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also helps out. Yeah. The, there is, uh, I don't think there's a, another good way of, of verifying that the thing that you've built works than uh, testing, right? Uh, I mean, if you get the question, does it work, and you answer by showing the, the app and uh, touch the screen, uh, then it's, uh, I think you've lost there. Um, now, for example, for, um, in the public transport app, I'm building like deviation info and to test that by waiting for a uh, subway to get cancelled before you can verify that, it's, that what you, uh, that would be like super silly. Um, but do you, would you say that, um, I mean, a, a backend is, isn't something that you can uh, look at and touch like a mobile app? Would you say that that has uh, influence in testing not being part of the process as much? Well, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, of course, you can always drill down in every tech stack. So if you are building iOS applications, for instance, you are going to have the back end and front end of that application as well. Uh, since you have, you're going to have business code, for instance, uh, you're hopefully going to build a collection of libraries to avoid having everything in the app target. So that's going to be your backend in the front end world, so to speak. Um, but I think that initially, uh, what really sold the iPhone was the user experience, was the fun, cool things you can do. You can drink a virtual beer by tilting your phone. And I think those were the kind of early experiences and early successes that drove the community initially but now as all of us have been working at product companies i think at product companies you need to have the craftsmanship you need to have the uh, you need to have the discipline in place doing all this stuff like having unit tests in place having a good continuous deployment process Otherwise, the product is going to suffer eventually. But if you perhaps work in an agency where your prime thing is to push out uh, pretty basic applications and perhaps not as important, and perhaps we feel like the community has evolved because we also have evolved with the community and uh, there are other communities that don't work with the things that we do in the same tech stack. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you and at the same time I disagree a little bit. I think it, there's a very wide perspective in this. So if we're, if we're talking about the agency perspective, there is a business logic in there as well. For an agency, they also have a reputation to consider. So if they're going to deliver apps, excuse my friends, for, for a crap quality, the likelihood of their clients hiring them for the next app or for the next project or for updates in the future, that likelihood diminishes when the app is of a low quality because if the client will feel like they've paid an overprice for something that doesn't really work. So even for an agency, it could be in their best interest to have this kind of experience with this logic in place. Uh, when we're talking about like testing, there's, there's a wide variety of testing. There's regression testing, there's unit testing, there's UI testing. Yep. Uh, 
I, if we're looking at different ones, if we're looking at regression testing, there often comes a QA person or a team or a developer putting on a QA hat there or a developer team putting on a QA hat comes into place. Uh, smaller companies or companies that don't have dedicated QAs, I mean, I've been at those clients as well. Those companies, I've, I've, I've started with bug contests, so I put on I put on QR codes on the in the inner doors of the bathrooms in the office, asking people in the office that come and test the one the person that finds the most confirmed bugs by the team. Uh, we will uh, we'll get a present that we buy like uh, one kilograms of, of sweets or so that we offer. We do something like that, and it's often it's it's a, it's a fun part to it, but it helps out. That's like one way of doing that. When it comes to the the uh, testing that comes from the developer side, we're talking about UI and unit testing. Uh, and UI testing is also, there's flow there's flows that you can test there, and then you have the snapshot testing. Uh, I think for a developer, they're more comfortable doing snapshot testing. I'm not that comfortable doing the flow testing UI, although it's built in an Xcode, but it's quite uncommon. Yeah. The unit testing, I think every developer should write. When they're making their class, they should think about what is this class going to do, or uh, and then write a test for it and then implement. Uh, so to verify that the implementation actually is delivering what the test is expecting. And I think that's common sense. Dependency injection of its dependencies into the class and write unit tests for it. The cost of not doing this, in my opinion, or in my experience at least, uh, it are way bigger than doing the, the, the initial cost at the beginning. Yeah. But I think a startup uh, where they might have one or two or three developers, I think in their cases they would just see like, okay, let's get a product out there. Yeah. Uh, let's get this out there, and if it flops the product, then we we're not going to regret that we didn't write the tests. If it works, then we have an issue of having too many users. We can rewrite it. We can do it the proper way because we have the funding for it. That's another discussion yeah. there. So there's a lot of aspects to it, uh, with the testing to it. That's kind of what I, my point I want to say. And for a developer, unit testing is, uh, should, should be like that. Yeah. I think my unit testing or testing is one tool in the tool belt. Yes. But I think that uh, developers in general, in my experience, are wearing a bigger tool belt now than they did 10 years oh, ago. Oh yeah, definitely. Which is fun to see. Yeah. Okay. Well, chaps, we'll do. We'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, obviously, I think this opportunity to thank Daniel, Paul, and our host Ricardo. And if we get involved, please reach out. And um, obviously, it'd be quite interesting topic talking about iOS. And um, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening this far. And um, have a great day. And again, thanks very much, chaps. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you.